my internal sense of value is what causes me to interpret what other people are doing around me and what's going on in my life. Uh, I would postulate that your subconscious sense of value is the primary driving force in your life experience. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is not a faith journey that you can do by ordering out or hiring a trainer for it. Instead, it is the work that you have to put in, just like your body. You actually have. I hear to Amazon's do running a new special, though. Oh yeah, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. <laughs> Three payments of nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety five and delivered in two days, unless it's inconvenient, and yeah. then not so much. So. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. We are here to help you learn and grow in your faith, to understand your faith and own it so that when people ask you why yeah. you believe what you believe, you have an answer for them and to critically think for yourself so that you can understand why you believe what you believe. My name is Jesse Mayer and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast <laughs> without the Salty Pastor himself, mm. Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome everyone to the Salty Pastor podcast. We hope that uh, Foothills is a church that you find that it's different. We are attempting to reach a group of people that want to know exactly why they believe what they believe, the foundations of it, the deep rooted sense of values and convictions that have been around for thousands of years and why those things have not only been an incredible blessing to individuals, mm. but it has blessed families and state cities, states, nations, and empires, because those values are coming from outside of us. And even if we're imperfect and we don't ap apply them perfectly, the, the more you do, then the more everybody benefits from mm. it. So this is uh, different, you know, it's a place where you are inspired to think for yourself and to really grow yourself. If you want a church that's just going to do it for you, Foothills is not the place for you. <laughs> and the salty pastor is not going to help you at all. Well, we are in our first week of our brand new series, Higher Value. Mm -hmm. Are human beings having a unique drive when it comes to value? We have the capacity to value some things over other things. That's natural human instinct. We look at one mm -hmm. apple versus another and we can evaluate them. Yes. But we are focused on things that we consider high value. That can change from thing to thing, right? Yes. And we're talking about cars, people, everything. Cars, people fruit, apples, mm -hmm. values change based on what you're evaluating. And even over time, they could change. You yes. may want different things for different stuff. And we all want higher value relationships, higher value experiences, and higher value outcomes mm -hmm. in our lives. Yes. So more than that, human beings need to feel a sense that they are of yeah. value, right? Yeah, we're just like, not just seeking higher value. We want to be valued. Yes. And that absolutely. is very important. A person's sense of value you know, when you want to be valued, your sense of, of your own value has more influence on your life than you could ever imagine. It influences the decisions that you make. 
It influences the uh, things you think about. You know how you think about a bunch of stuff? And uh, during the day, it influences that. You know what else it influences? Your internal dialogue. You know, everybody has an internal dialogue of stuff that they're telling themselves. Is the, is the phrase self-talk still a yes. thing? Is that like, a, I remember that <laughs> being really big when I was in college. Like, yep. what is your self-talk? What, yeah. you what are you saying to yourself? Yeah, what are you telling yourself? What's your internal dialogue? That is 100% driven by your subconscious sense of value because your sense of value is the matrix by which you interpret what's going on in your life, right? It's, it's like, oh, my internal sense of value is what causes me to interpret what other people are doing around me and what's going on in my life. Uh, I would postulate that your subconscious sense of value is the primary driving force in your life experience. I mean, we see that even just in Winnie the Pooh, right? Mm -hmm. Eeyore, anytime they say anything, Eeyore basically interprets it as, well, you don't want me around. Yeah. And, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. they could be talking about carrots in, in Rabbit's Garden, and they're like, well, I wish I was loved enough to have a carrot, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. they're like, we're not even talking, what? We're not even talking about you. <laughs> yeah. And so I think yeah. that kind of goes along with what you're talking about, right? That Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I mean, I think it affects everybody, even your really high performers. Right, mm. the, the people we look up to, it, it impacts them at the same level that it impacts people who are like Eeyore. You know, in, in the book, Search for Significance, um, the author tells of a young woman who grew up in a Christian home. She was a fine Christian girl, but in high school, she got pregnant, okay? And so she gives birth to this child and gives it up for adoption. Nobody knows about this except for her immediate family. You know, they were able to, you know, protect her and, and kind of keep it a secret from everybody. But right. the, the immediate family knew. Well, then she graduates from high school and then she goes off to college. She's a real smart gal and she's there for three or four years. She meets a guy, you know, they start dating, they get out of college, get jobs and they date and then they get married. And then after a few years, she feels very distant from her husband. He kind of uh, uh, chronicles this gal's experience. And so she starts dealing with high levels of anxiety and depression very disconnected from her husband. So she goes to counseling counselor, of course, is a person who uh, is worth their salt. You know, there's a lot of bad counselors There's some good ones too. And this one was good. And basically uh, pull out the fact, well, it's this big, huge family secret that's interfering. And so she comes to the conclusion, I need to tell him, you know, mm -hmm. so she tells him and, you know, she's praying about it, worried about it. But guess what? As soon as he hears, you know what he does? He goes, Oh, that, I don't care it you've been forgiven you know you you're loved by god and you're loved by me and i took a vow and and uh you know it, it's it's an irrelevancy you know i'm here to love you and commit to you and and uh so anyway what's interesting is his response was totally different than what she thought mm -hmm. and what happened is he chronicles the situation is because of that that destroyed her and so she ended up divorcing him and leaving him what? because of it. Yeah. Because see, in, internally, this was a secret that she had carried for so long. And so she confesses the secret, but her sense of value was in herself. I'm a good Christian. I don't do bad things. And then, so what it did is your sense of value is what 
uh, determines whether you can receive God's forgiveness. It, your sense of value is what determines your capacity to receive authentic love. So all because her sense of value would not allow her to receive re- real love, real forgiveness, real restoration, real healthy relationships, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's all the time this happens. Every people in your generation uh, don't understand what a big deal this is. Okay. Uh, people in my generation don't understand what a big deal this is. <laughs> Nobody does, I guess, because churches don't really, and I, I don't mean this to be critical. I'm just saying is that because nobody is ever steeped in discipleship on the nature of salvation, most people never really deeply, deeply think about what it means to be saved. And so we're going to dig into that. That's what this whole series is about is what's God's intent for saving you? Why would he do it? You know, mm. what's the whole point? And the whole issue is, is that uh, our value is a massive deal. Like it, it has a huge impact uh, on your generation in this way. People come up to me all the time and say, you know, guys come up to say, you know, I, I go out with girls and girls say they want a nice guy, but that's not true because they're always attracted to bad boys. Preach, pastor. You know, Preach. they always want some bad boy. <laughs> they always want some guy who treats them like trash and is a jerk. And why is that? Well, it's simple. It's their subconscious sense of value. Their deep-seated self-worth doesn't allow them to receive love that's healthy. And when they're in a healthy relationship, it makes them nervous or they don't feel. I was reading a story about this gal who was talking about this very same thing. She says, look, I dated this guy. I fell in love with him. I got married him because he was just a solid rock guy. And he's super good looking. I mean, all the women swoon over him, all this kind of stuff. But two years into our marriage, I didn't think he loved me. And I didn't think I loved him. And she goes, the reason why, she goes, we went to therapy, the reason why is because I grew up in a really toxic situation where people are screaming at each other all the time and slamming doors and you don't talk to your brother, sister, parents for three days, you give them the cold shoulder. It was just this, what I didn't realize, I was raised in an emotionally tumultuous thing. So my value that was, I have to live in emotional chaos, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what real love is. And she said, it took me a long time to realize man, this guy's super healthy. <laughs> and if I, if I give up on this and go after that, my life will be a dumpster fire. And I, th- I was like, man, that's doing hard work. See, that's somebody who realizes the whole point of when God saves you is it's not this, hey, God saves you. It's, it's more powerful and impactful than you could ever imagine. In the same way, I have women tell me this, why are, or ask me this, why are guys so noncommittal? Um, why can't I find a good guy? Right? Well, I, I tend to say you attract what you are, not what you want. Um, <laughs> but the other side of it is this, and I'm not trying to, uh, disparage women anyway. What I'm saying is that some women will say to me, why is it that when I treat my man in a really healthy way and I want to have healthy communication with him, he just gets angry and yells at me and slams the door. Well, it has to do with his sense of value. If he has a subconscious drive to meet his own need for value, whenever you threaten that, he doesn't recognize it up here. He just feels threatened. He reacts emotionally and he's going to push back against you. Your subconscious sense of value drives your behavior more than you could ever imagine because it interprets every word, every action, every random act, every data point out there in the universe in a certain way. I mean, I would like to put it kind of this way as a, as a production guy, I, yeah. I mm-hmm. play with, you know, a lot of cameras and what lens you pick 
changes the image you see. Yes. Whether it's you choose a zoom lens, so then it zooms in really far, mm-hmm. or you choose a wide angle, and so it kind of stretches everything out, or anamorphic, it kind of gives it a little bit of a tilt or whatever. Like that lens literally shapes the image you get at the end. And you are saying in this context, your self value, your self worth, self esteem, maybe is your lens that you perceive life through. So if you have low self-esteem, everything you see will be through that lens of low And how are lenses made? Through tempering and glass. And, and they, take te- they take glass that's tempered, and then what do they do with it? They mold it and shape it into specific shapes. Yes, yeah, they grind it. Yes. They grind it. And most people don't realize that your sense of value has been ground into you. Mm. It is it is ground and it is formed within you. And we rarely think about that. But that's the whole point. And it's it's more than just self-esteem, right? It's it's self-worth. You know, I, I like to, you know, I'm a word guy, so I differentiate yeah, between like, the words. I mean, those words can get thrown around generically yeah. across all kinds of self-help books. Well, right? self self-esteem is how do you feel about yourself and that's more of an emotional based thing and mm. it comes from a uh it's a byproduct, I guess you could say. It comes from a viewpoint that basically says you don't have a soul. You have emotions, so all we're going to do is as long as your emotions are good, so as long as you have positive emotions, you have high yeah. self-esteem. Yeah, you have high self-esteem, you're going to do great, right? Right. And and this is what's really sad is you have these kids that feel really good about themselves but can't do anything. You know, Mm. they have no skills, they have no competency, they have no nothing. They go out into the real world and then what happens is that they're shattered, you know? Well, and it's such a a temporary thing. It's not something that's sustainable, right? Right. Like you're constantly pouring things into it to try to keep it at that level. And ultimately all of it will fade away or start not hit the same way. It's very similar to drugs, right? It's like you have to do more and more. (laughs) More and more and more. That's right. right? Yeah, it's a diminishing returns. But self-worth is totally different. You see, self-worth is an accurate perception of who you are. Okay. And it's an accurate perception of who you are. And because it comes from outside of you, right? It can never change. It can't be manipulated. Therefore, it's not based on how you feel, how you're doing. It is a consistent rock solid foundation on which to build a great life. So ultimately the main point of this entire study is that we are all driven to find significance in life. We're seeking value, but we've adopted all of these subconscious ways to make ourselves feel valued or feel valuable. And in the end, none of these things work. So the only way to experience true, va- true value is to accept that your value comes from somewhere else outside of you. And then when you understand that and you accept that truth, right, you have self-worth. You don't have self-esteem, you have self-worth. And that is so much more powerful. Well, this sounds like it is going to be quite the discussion. I'm very excited about it. So where are we starting off, Pastor? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is when it comes to you as a human being, what is God's intent towards humanity? In order to have an accurate perception of yourself, you must begin with why God is doing what he is doing. One of the biggest questions that pastors and a lot of people get most of the time who um, are following Jesus is, well, if there is a God, then why doesn't he just show up so I can believe in him, right? Why can't he just show up and prove that he exists so yeah. that I believe in him? He used to do miracles all the time. Why doesn't yeah. he just show up and, yeah. and set a bush on fire for me? Yeah, I, I, I want that. Then I'd believe in him. And I go, well, first of all, the reason he doesn't do this is because that's not his goal. Mm. God's goal is not to get you to believe in him. Now, belief is 
important, but that's not the end goal. Do you know what God's end goal is with humanity and with you in particular? It's to restore you to your authentic self. It is to heal you. See, that's his goal. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul lays it out. He goes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in or through Christ. I, I change the word is in Christ or through Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So when did he decide to do this for you and for me? Before the world was formed. Before the world was even created, recorded in Genesis chapter 1. Why did he do this? It goes on, according, he says, I'm sorry, before I get to that, he goes, that we would be holy and blameless in him and in love, he predetermined us to adoption. So before the foundation of the world, God determined that he was going to bless Jesse, Doug, you, everybody listening to this, everybody in the world. Uh, with every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ by adopting us as sons and daughters into his family because he loves us. So he determined this is how I'm going to do it. He goes on to say, in him we have redemption because of his blood. It's through his blood that was shed on the cross that allows this to take place. It is the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. And he lavished this grace on us. Now, this is all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, his plan to do this according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Jesus. Because I know Jesus, I know God's plan. Jesus and God are one. It makes total sense now. And then he goes on to say, it was his good pleasure regarding his plan that in the fullness of times to bring everything together in the revelation of Jesus Christ, because things in the heaven and the things on earth. And then if you read what John wrote in the gospel, uh, according to John in chapter three, beginning with verse 14, right before John three sixteen, you know, I always like to read that one verse in its context. Right. So people understand it. He goes, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the must of son of man be lifted up. Now, who's he telling this to? He's telling this to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who knows the story of Moses in he's, the wilderness. He's speaking to the guy that should know this backwards and forwards. Yeah, this guy has told this story a thousand times, yeah. right? He says, look, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the son of man must be lifted up. And then he says, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him. God's intent isn't to get you to believe in him. God's intent isn't for you to put your faith in him. God's intent is that through grace, he has come up with a design to heal you and restore you. Okay. So then why doesn't God just save every single person? Why does it, why isn't every single person saved? This is the theological position of universalism, right? Okay. And that's where a lot of progressive Christianity today that gets really crazy. It all is based. Saved. Everybody God yeah, loves everybody. Doesn't don't, matter. Don't worry Do whatever you want. That it does. Doesn't matter. God saved everybody. That you're totally free from any responsibility from any decision you ever make. Right. Um, that position is 
flawed because it doesn't take into account that God's intent isn't to get you to believe and God's intent isn't just to save you. God's intent is to restore you and heal you to walk in the fullness of who you were created to be. Because when you go back to Genesis chapter one, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. You see, oh, we're, we're not just to be saved and we're not just to be uh, believers or we're not just to have faith. Belief, now don't get me wrong, belief, faith, confession, repentance, baptism, all of these things, walking, prayer, Bibles, all of these things are necessary not to get you into heaven. You see, the ability for you to go to heaven or to be healed, to be renewed, restored, brought from death to life, this is called salvation, is done because of what God did in Christ. This is an act of grace. Mm. But our capacity to receive it and experience it requires faith, confession, repentance, but all of these things, we have to receive it. And just like that gal who got pregnant and who confessed to her husband and he, what did he do? He forgave her and he loved her, but guess she could not receive it. And why? Because she didn't know her value. Mm-hmm. So the, it starts with what is God's intent in salvation? And that is, is to renew us, redeem us, restore us to who we were intended to be. So if God's intent is to heal us and restore us to authentic, to our authentic selves, yeah. um, then why do so many people reject his gift, Pastor? Why do people <laughs> reject this incredible value proposition that God places on them of, I have this thing for you, you just have to take it. And people go, nah, I'm just going to pass on that. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> or, or what, uh, to go a step further, it's why do people like, they'll go to a concert, they'll go somewhere and say, oh, God loves me. That's awesome. I want to be saved. And then they go out and they live their life without any transformation or change or difference. They keep believing what they believed before mm. they accepted Jesus. They keep believing and living and making decisions in the same way. As a matter of fact, there was a book by Craig Rochelle written called the Christian atheist mm-hmm. that describes that phenomena. And that is, is that these people go forward at a concert and they pray a prayer, say, yeah, I love Jesus. Please save me. And then they live as an atheist the right. rest of their life. He goes, what's up with that? And the reason why is because most people don't know their true nature. Okay. So they, they say, God save me. But then if you ask them, what do you want to God save you from? They say, well, I don't want to go to hell. And you say, okay, I want fire insurance. Yeah. God is not here to save you from going to hell. See, that's not God's intent. God's intent is to do what? Restore Storm. you. Okay. You have to be brought from death to life. And so you have to know your true nature. And this is where most people don't understand the gospel of Christ is that you have to know what you are. People are not receptive to the intent of God's love in their lives because they don't know who they're, they truly are, their true nature. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, their true nature is revealed that it says, then God said, this is verse 26, let us make mankind in our image. Now, what's really interesting about this is when you see in the very earlier verses of chapter one, it says, and God, and it uses the singular, all right, uh, nominative. And then afterwards in chapter two, and God, they do a deeper dive in creation, the, the mm-hmm. how humanity is created uniquely from all the other creation is, 
it says, and God did this, and it, it uses singular pronouns in there, the, the uh, people who interpret the Hebrew. What's interesting is in verse 26 is the only place where the plural pronouns appear. Okay. God said, let us create mankind in our image. Well, who's he referring to? See, this is the first reference to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. You see, there's God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. Okay. He says, according to our likeness. Well, what does that mean? To be created in the likeness of God. Is, is God uh, a guy who has a, two beard, fi- yeah, and- a beard and white hair and right. two big hands? And No. No. That's called anthropomorphism. You, you know, when we, we attribute God to look like a human being. Right. You know, he's so far beyond that, but that, so what does it mean to say that he wants to create human beings in his likeness? Well, the clue is right there in the verse. Let us make him in our image. So what he's saying is that I am in a relationship with myself. You are going to be a relational being. You have to be in relationship with yourself. And that's what allows you to be in relationship with me. And that's what allows you to be in relationship with others. Mm. See? So we see these three levels, boom, right there in that verse. It's so nuanced. Most people just read right over it and never actually catch it. So to be created in the likeness of God is to be a relationally driven person. It is the thirst of your soul. And then he says this, because of that, I want you to have a relationship with your surrounding, your material world, because I want you to do what? Rule. I want you to subdue, is another way to translate that Hebrew word, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the earth, and every over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, us refers to the likeness of God, and then we are to have a responsibility. So we are originally designed for relationships and responsibility. This is why we base so much of our value on who we know, right? Our family and friends, or on what we do, which is our responsibility. So our true nature is relational and responsible. What else does the creation story tell us about our true nature? If, If this is the thing that most people are missing, in their in their discovery of their faith and really accepting that gift that God's offering, what other things should we know about our true nature? Well, if you just jump over to the next, uh, skip over from chapter two, which is a deep, it's a deeper dive. It, it basically, there's a Hebrew literary style and what it is is they'll say, okay, God created the earth, blah, 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 blah. And then chapter two is a deep dive on one of those points and that okay. is he created, and it's, so chapter two is a deep dive on that. And then chapter three is, what happens afterwards in Genesis three, uh, verse one begins with this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field, which the Lord has made. And he says to the woman, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So the first thing he says is this, is he gets them to question God. And that is, did God really say that? Right. Or did he say something else? 
And then the woman says to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the gardens we may eat, but not from the tree which is in the middle of the garden, because God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it because you're going to die. And the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. So now he contradicts the truth of God. Okay. Okay. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. So God is holding out on you. Mm. God's holding out on you. He's holding back. He's trying to trick you, manipulate you, right? So what happens is he says, you will then become like God. See, God, your eyes will be opened like God's, and you will know the difference between good and evil. This doesn't mean that God is evil, commits evil, condones evil in any way, shape, or form. But God, as omniscience, knows what it is and can see it and recognize it, okay? And he's saying, oh, you're going to be like God. So the woman saw, hey, the tree's good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took some of its fruit, and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. In verse 7, here's the key. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Mm. Okay, what does that mean? They were walking around. They could see the trees. They weren't walking around blind. Yeah, obviously. they saw the fruit. She said it looked pleasing to eat, right. so she could see. She wasn't blind, but now her eyes were open. What does that mean? It says they knew that they were, what, naked. Mm. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. So their eyes were open. They discovered that they could be evil as well as good they had the potential for both because of free will and that makes them vulnerable it makes you naked you see you're vulnerable so therefore it is our sense of vulnerability it's our insecurity that causes us to reject god's intent for our lives this is our true nature we must be healed of this this taint of the soul this cancer called sin that has opened our eyes to evil, our desire to uh, think evil, to uh, flirt with evil, to participate in evil, imperfection, our, all of this must be healed. We must be restored in order to thrive. We must be renewed in order to live. Because if this doesn't happen, then we are always dead. We will never be alive. And we will rely on our own ability to try to make our souls feel valuable. And that's the key. So this entire series will be focusing on how Jesus came to heal us in redemption mm -hmm. and what that actually looks like in our lives. Yep how it impacts our deep sense of value. Yeah, we're going to study the scriptures deeply to discover what it means to be healed by Jesus when he saves us. It's all about redemption. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing all that with us. I really appreciate you um, enlightening us with some Bible verses and kicking off this new <laughs> series. And we will be back on Thursday to talk about how this is applicable to our lives and what that looks like in the modern day. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings. Thank you.